This series of the For All Mankind podcast is brought to you by the Gardner Family Apothecary. Caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel's Silcox base to Elav's Sensitive Beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of the news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro. Welcome to From Kind, the podcast. Today's guest works in communications with Vodafone and she's mum to Frank. It's Claude O'Hagan. Welcome, Claude. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to have you. Um, <laughs> and baby Frank, like Claude, he is the absolute cutest thing I've ever seen. Like he's, he's just, he's, I think it's just, you can really see his personality. I know he is just yeah, I, I just I can't even pretend to have any humility I'm like yeah I know he's outrageous I can't even cope on a daily basis it's just his little smile and his big eyes and he's just so full of character and the crack he's just brilliant I have to say and he's 10 months now isn't he yeah he's just gone 10 months of well it's probably 10 and a half now and the 22nd is his birthday so I can't I literally can't believe that he's almost one like it's wild the time has flown isn't it mm. yeah because there actually isn't much between himself and peter i don't think peter is the 30th of june oh. um so when he'll be one so yeah there's not too much between them they uh is he as uh adventurous and as speedy at crawling and he... as trying to kill himself at every moment <laughs> as peter is He's, he's not quite um, trying to kill himself yet. I was, he, he was never the first. Now, he was never ahead of himself in terms of his milestones. I think like it took him three or four months to learn how to lift his head and about six months before he can roll over. But since he started questioning six weeks ago, he's absolutely flying it um, on the crawling. And he like, you know, legs it between me and him with a little look back to go, can you see what I'm doing? Can you see what I'm doing? But he hasn't yet discovered the kind of pulling himself up and crawling on things so yeah. I'm I'm bracing myself for that basically because it's in the post <laughs> this time Clota he yeah, sounds more like Alice Alice was great she took her time like that like I, I had to work hard to get her to 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 roll over like that took serious investment where Peter just was like yeah I'm up I'm gone out the gap like um <laughs> so she gave us time as first time parents to catch up with like baby development um, and you're looking and that, that's it you're still looking and you're like a, and you, like you know I knew he was going to do it eventually and I like you, you know you can hear all the things they all do it in their own time yes. but it's probably like I was like as much as I was trying to help him do stuff I was just just there looking at him do you know what I, I mean know. kind of playing and shaking things at him and all the rest of it and like but now he's absolutely flying it and did I see did you get a chance to bring him like to baby swimming and all of those baby classes I got a little, I got a taster of it. So in some ways, um, I, jo- I, I joined a baby sensory class oh, yes, but at the beginning. Yeah, it was, he was a bit, to be honest, he was a bit too young for it because he, let's say at eight weeks, he was a little tot and he was just a little squish, <laughs> not able to really do anything for himself. So while he looked very cute um, in the class, he wasn't really able for it now. I know they say they can hear everything and all the rest of it. 
So I did a couple of them, but you know, it was a little bit lost on us. And also because um, of the restrictions at that stage, you had to kind of just sit in a big circle, you know, meters away from people with masks on it. So it wasn't kind of like the mom vibe either. But I did get to do, I got to do one swim class which again, he, he face planted himself for the whole thing. The girl even felt was like, yeah, I have twins and one was able for it. And one wasn't as in like, it's okay. And all the other moms with their babies like flapping around everything. I was like, oh God. Um, but I did, I managed to do a baby massage course as well. And that was um, oh, yes. really lovely because it was a smaller group of six people. And you, you got to like kind of, have the mom chats afterwards with um, a cup of tea and a biscuit with kind of distance around with their mask on. So that was really enjoyable. So we got, I got a little sliver of kind of that kind of activity before it all shut down again. That normal like maternity leave <laughs> activities. Yeah, like I, they're yeah. the exact three classes I did with Alice. Um, yeah. Now Ben used to do the swimming because I was terrified and yeah. I, I was like I really don't want my fear like, and I don't have a fear of water or swimming but I yeah. did have a fear of like this whole like dunking her into the water I was like oh god and yeah. Ben is a lifeguard and like he's he surfs and stuff so I was oh, like listen ben. off you go off you <laughs> that's your job so I felt like you know he probably had a better chance of you know doing well than I did I think um, that's very fair oh I did do an online clap handies class as well actually oh. when he was a bit bigger and he did love that now I have to say um, and it was it was it was and it was perfect I think it was during winter as well um so you know what it wasn't a great day and obviously everybody's been panned in the pavements and the buggies you know they've kind of got steam coming off the the wheels at this stage but you know for a couple of days and over a few weeks that I did it when the weather wasn't great that was actually really nice it and it was from your living room online yeah, I, I was I was reading something about um, yourself and Frank and you were saying like, you know, when things were open and the classes like you, you know, you were doing an activity kind of every day. And it just it really reminded me of the first maternity leave and just the difference between yeah. from mums now and just how, yeah. you know, confined you can feel um, with the small babies. But look, yeah. we are at the other side of it. So we're going to remain Exactly. Exactly. Um, and the so, thing about, you know, I was actually talking to a friend of mine this morning who um, we both have gone back to work. And we were talking about, you know, the transition of, and they're both first babies um, when they went to, to crash and the settling in as a COVID baby. But, you know, I didn't have any of that kind. I didn't really worry or have any guilt or anything like that because you couldn't, like, possibly say like we were so present for every day of the maternity leave in our own little bubble and not distracted by the baby so by the time it came to that stage you're like you go you need he needs to be around other babies I kind of need a break so it was kind of like it was just time there was no hesitation or anything like that about it going to to crash it was just the best thing for everyone so you're absolutely right because it's Alice has never been to crash and she's Mm. going to Montessori when in September Mm. and I think had there not been a lockdown I would have been quite kind of this was like emotional about her you know Mm. going to Montessori and I'd be like oh no now I'm like go meet your friends (laughs) explore the world yeah exactly like I went yeah. down to my friend for a coffee and I wasn't even there weren't even tears she's like you okay I was like I am fine put the kettle on now when I went to collect him and I saw he'd been sobbing for an hour and, the, oh, and no. he never cries I was like what have you done but he's flying it now and like lo- like sitting there when you pick him up amongst the wobblers with more playing around him and everything having a great time 
And listen, I'm sure there's going to be probably tears from both of myself and Alice when she starts Montessori. Um, but it's just, you know, it's a big step um, yeah. in her in her little lifespan. But yeah. yeah, I'm delighted for them. I'm just like, isn't yeah. that fantastic that they can go off and have their fun? And, Big you know. Time. Do you know what actually was the worst, worst part of it rather than dropping them? It was probably like two weeks or something in or a little bit into it. Um, we were in the car coming back. And it was the first time I realized that I was no longer the very center of his world. Like he had other things to occupy his mind. He was rather than just only looking at me. I was like, just looking at the window, there's a big wide world out there. I was like, oh my God, that's so sad. What about me? <laughs> brief oh, moment. I know. I know. You'll <laughs> always be the center of his world, Claudia, yeah. don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a solo parent to Frank. I am. And you decided, I suppose you've been thinking for a couple of years, weren't you, really, about becoming a solo yeah. parent? And yeah. it was around, you were 41 when you actually kind of went, yes, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> How did you, I suppose it was, was it a blood test that kind of spurred yeah. you to kind of go, right, it's now or never? Exactly. And, I, and it's funny, I get, I get lots of messages from people who are kind of, who are kind of thinking about it and, you know, they're on the fence. And one question I get asked a lot was, you know, because it's people are nervous about it you know fearful I was like was I was I really sure was I so resolute was I I suppose it kind of now that I have done it it feels like it was such a easy powerful decision to make but the reality is like you know it had been something that was kind of a, a, a building up of a back backup plan that had been in the background for probably you know two to four years beforehand I probably you know she started th- thinking about it and then my sister had her little girl and she didn't sleep for two years because I was like I cannot do that on my own absolutely not so it probably kind of put it a bit further back in terms of my mind for a while yeah and then you know I started thinking about it as in okay I to, to put things in motion if I didn't meet somebody so that in a couple of years time I would be set up for it because at the time I'd been like you know renting the houses and subletting so like in house shares and all the rest of it and I was like okay if I'm going to think about this I need to be you know in a place where I can have a baby on my own a little two bed and you know ensure it's affordable so you're not overstretched because you know financial side of it is a significant um considering factor around it all so I I I moved out of the house share I bought a two-bedroom house kind of close enough to town I was like okay if I make the decision now you know, I'm set up for it so I can go and live my life and go and meet someone. And like, you know, the reality is, because like, I, I, I think about it often, that was it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because how can you possibly meet somebody when really I probably didn't realize myself how much I really wanted a baby or how much I needed a baby in my life now that I have him. So it was an unrealistic expectation to kind of feel that I was really open to meeting someone in that amount of time because there's too much pressure, you know, in terms of any kind of meeting of someone, is this the person that's going to be the father of my child? So, but that was all going on in the background. And then I was on holidays and I had just been for um, regular blood blood tests and got a call when I was on the beach and was going through all the tests and everything was fine. And it was almost a flipping comment of my phosphorus levels were low, but that was fine because I wasn't, um, trying to have a baby and I was like oh yeah not now but but um probably in the next year or so um either with someone or if I haven't met, met someone I'll, I'll you know have a baby on my own 
And our responses vary. Oh no, honey, like if you're going to have a baby, you want to think about it now. And, you know, we're all, like many of us, we, we all feel like we're still 26 in terms of our outlook and our day-to-day. And you kind of don't really um, kind of feel the realities of your age. And I suppose I'm still like loving life, having a great time, still positive. Um, and I suppose when she said it, it was like, she's like, you know, most people, it takes at least a year and a half to to for it to happen when you from when you start trying which it did um she goes and if you wait so and that's assuming it happens but if I was to wait you know a year and a half two Mm -hmm. years the chances would be so much lower but even if it did happen you know I would be like 45 46 um having my first baby and I think that was that reality I think actually struck home more than anything else because you know it wasn't something that I was hugely excited about the thoughts of having a baby on my own. You know, you kind of consider how hard it's going to be um, emotionally, financially. You know, you mentioned the feeling of isolation earlier on. I was yeah. really, I was really scared about feeling isolated because I think when you're single and, you know, when you're older and you're single, you can feel isolated anyway, even if you have friends, because you're looking at kind of the family life that other people have that you want. And you can feel just isolated by not having that, even when people are around you. So I think, um, and, you know, there is, well, things were good. There's an element of you that really isn't happy in your life if there's a want that that, that there that is that big. Um, so oh, I can't remember what I was saying then. I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> So I suppose um, it's 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 the hard fact of when a doctor says something to you, yeah. you kind of go, right, am I doing this yeah. or am I not? Because you can sit in the yeah. fence forever. Exactly. And then, yeah, when she said, oh, my God, I was like, oh, I was like, wow, being 45, 46 at the very beginning of it, like that would be a tough gig. So I think just it was that very straight conversation was with the doctor with which is what helped me just make the decision there and then because it had been on the long finger. And while I had definitely been moving towards being in a position to be able to do it I still wasn't ready to commit to the process but from that conversation I was absolutely ready to commit and once you've made that decision and Mm -hmm. what was your next step then so I came home and I had a few more tests through the doctor's surgery they did they sent me for tests they took blood, sent them off, sent me somewhere else for another test. And to be honest, all of that was a little bit long-winded. And I think if anybody is considering going down the route, just go straight to a fertility clinic and get like yeah. the full fertility NCT. Because I probably lost a good maybe three or four months in the process because I was on holidays in August. And it wasn't until just before Christmas that I finally ended up in a fertility clinic. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> an appointment I had just before them had given me a full sense of security and um, about, you know, the, the potential of it working. So I was a little bit buoyant by the time I went to the fertility clinic because I had assumed I would probably have to go down the double donor route at my age or had considered it a backup plan. But a previous doctor had said it was like a 25% chance of working. But when I went into the fertility clinic, they were very adamant that based on eggs, age, all the rest of it, it was, you know, like a three to 5% chance of working, which was hugely, hugely upsetting, and especially before Christmas. And I think, you know, I had a very tough Christmas at that stage, but I think what it what it did do was while I had made the decision and I was on board with with um with going down that route, I was still hesitant. I still probably hadn't made peace with, you know, 
the fact you, you grieve a little bit that you're not going to have a baby with the person that you fell in love with, how you always imagined it would be. And I was still kind of focusing on the things I was concerned about. But from that appointment, when it was a very real possibility that it might not work, yeah. well, then I knew it was all that I wanted. And then it was a very easy thing. I was like, okay, I'm, it's like I, working in marketing, you're very deadline orientated. You're like, okay, this yeah. is what we have to do and let's just get it done. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, mm. And so choosing your fertility clinic, because um, people mm. will ask me quite a bit, like, uh, yeah. how would, how did I choose my fertility clinic? And I'm mm. from Kerry and I travel to Cork. Mm. I base it off of their kind of live birth rates was, you know, mm. like those statistics should be available on their website or at least if it's not on their website, they should be able to share them with you um, mm. and personal recommendations. How did you obviously in Dublin, you'd have a greater selection how yeah. did you what was your I would like to say that I put a lot of research and stuff into it but I actually I actually didn't I think it was all done in such kind of a panic based on initially making the decision and because of the long-windedness of the the, the, the number of different places I've been sent to for different tests before and you know the conversation I'd had with the doctor was in the rotunda and I kind of assumed that that was would be where the fertility treatment started because this was where I'd been directed by the doctor but actually he was like yeah but we can't do the we can't do the treatment here you need to go to a fertility clinic I was like well why am I not there yeah. why am I here to begin with you know so and he had and I was taking his recommendation and he had um sent me in the direction of a clinic that kind of just focused on I think um IUI treatments and stuff but it actually was closed down it wasn't it was no longer there so I kind of just was like looking for a recommendation and I just went with um I went with Marian Fertility because it was you know the National Maturity Hospital and I just went there had the initial consultation and even though to be honest I wasn't hugely feeling it from them um after the initial consultation because when I was really upset in the appointment and I that I previously had been told x percentage I kind of got a response I'm like well people can often misinterpret things and hear what they want to hear and I was like no that's not I actually wrote it down at the time I know what I heard or what I was told so I wasn't I actually wasn't hugely enamored at that time but I suppose when I thought about it over Christmas I was my I was like I'm in the system you know, you do your own research and what treatment you're going to do and I like just to get on with it and start moving forward rather than having to make an appointment with another clinic, wait for that to happen, yeah. another month's time and all of that. So I really was like, okay, drive on. This is where we're at because I had made the decision from the results to get, to give IUI, follically assisted IUI um, a go like maybe twice or three times just for the chance of using my own eggs and if that didn't work you know it, it seemed relatively cheap at the time now in hindsight I would probably recommend people to go straight to IVF if they can afford it especially if they want to have a second child but um, um that was my decision that I made with the view that if it didn't get that almost done because if it didn't work I would go to a double donor situation in, in in Greece or Spain so that was where my trainer thought kind of led to over that Christmas period is in start start small give it a shot and then go to the one with the highest percentage chance of working because my realization of how much um time was potentially against me 
And okay, so you're doing the follicle assisted IUI and then mm. you're looking at a donor sperm. Mm. So how like how do you choose mm. a sperm? <laughs> like are you looking at like it's almost like what I remember is like something from friends. It's like you're literally looking through like a magazine of like profiles. Is that real life? It's not it's not like, too far from the truth, to be honest, except for it's 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 online and it's it's like it's like what plenty of fish used to be like in terms of the dating app, the way you selected things on it years ago. It, um, in that you, it's an online sperm bank you go on and you, first of all, um, submit kind of your medical credentials so that you're genetically, um, so that initially the database is being just people you're genetically suited to. And then you go in in terms of personal preference. So, you know, where they're from, ethnicity, color, hair, height, color of eyes, and it's kind of put in that amount of detail and then it, you're served back a list of profiles and um oh you you choose whether you want the, the sperm to be the donor to be anonymous or non-anonymous um which um non-anonymous gives the child the option to contact um him at age of 18 should he so wish and um, but now re- regulations are have been put in place in ireland where you can only and use non-anonymous donors um, for okay. the treatment. But so you're basically just serve them up and they have like a little photo of, well, the ones that you can choose from and it's a little photo of the the donor as a child and mm-hmm. um, a big detailed um, profile of them. And it also has an interview. So it has kind of the, the, the results of the profile. It also has a written note from the interviewer on kind of their their synopsis of the person and a letter from the donor and their motivations for for doing it um and so i chose someone who there was dark hair and blue eyes on both sides of the family so you'd um ideally hopefully not look the opposite to me now i don't know where the, the big head of blonde hair came from but we're here for it <laughs> bring it on um and he just sounded like a really nice guy and that was kind of it that's fascinating. Um, so you really got a good idea of who you were choosing. Like you really got a good sense of the person. Yeah, but it was hard. Like it was really yeah. daunting initially. So uh, initially I went on the site and I, I you kind of, you almost get blurred vision. You don't know what's in front of you. And you're like, oh God, what am I going to do here? So I always like, kind of like to kind of take the pressure out of things. So I invited a few friends. I was over just about to say, things. yeah, did you? I would have done the same. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I didn't tell them why they were coming over because I was weird. I didn't want people to feel under compliment because it was such a big thing at the same time. So I was like, oh, come on over for pizza. And another friend of mine designed me up some bunting. So when they arrived, I had sperm palooza bunting coming in my living room. <laughs> and we went through the process. And, you know, and it was brilliant because through the people in the room, we kind of chatted about everyone had different opinions, but kind of really chatted through the different dynamics of things and through those conversations it was like oh what's important what was important to me out of it so then when I went back to do it on my own I was like oh yeah grand I got this I know kind of how it works and and what I'm what I'm looking for on it and um, it was a bit of crack as well I think you'd have to talk it out I think if you sat there on your own it would be yeah. really hard to kind of go you'd, you'd really have to have almost I think a lot of self-discipline maybe to kind of work out initially what you want and then try and match that to profiles that could yeah yeah and well and also because it's funny again it's a girl I was talking to online who was going through the process of it and it can be very daunting and you have to kind of remember you're not dating the person yes (laughs) you know 
mean? You're like, you're not going, oh, well, go on. You know, so you can't, it, it's a funny dynamic. Um, but you get there in the end. So you've chosen your fertility, you know, your IUI. You have your sperm mm-hmm. now. And yeah. where did you go next? So you, you, it was all through. So you, you choose the, the sperm yourself and then you pick your top two and you give your recommendations to the clinic and they then kind of put it through, um, I suppose, a register really. So what they're doing is checking, has that sperm been used in Ireland before or, you know, it has it used its amount of quota? So in Denmark, which is regulated by the government, a, a donor can, um, you, there can be, up to 12 families that have successful births from one donor. In Ireland, which is self-regulated, there can be up to four. So you're basically kind of waiting to hear if it's available. So of my top two, my my first one was available. So that was selected and then that's sent directly to the clinic. And only when that has actually arrived in the clinic will they begin your treatment when it's actually there. And so from when it arrived, then I started my treatment, which was a series of um, two injections over kind of, I think it was kind of like a a two week period. And um, I did that. I started that treatment three times. And the first time I made... um, I made balls of it in that like I took the wrong injection at the end. So the the treatment what they weren't able to go ahead with the insemination. And I think, you know, in the in the everything happens for a reason, that's probably definitely the case. I maybe wasn't a hundred percent ready for it then. And also, you know, I made the decision within that time to sell my house, move house and all the rest of it. And, you know, if I had gone ahead at that time and if I had worked, I probably never would have done all that. So and trusting in the greater good and all that. Yeah. And then I had to wait. Another, I couldn't do it the following month because my um, ovaries were overstimulated. The next month um, started again and, you know, got to, there was um, there was a chance of a multiple birth in that, like there was an egg in each ovary, but they the follicles collapsed just before the treatment. Um, and that was, God, I was really devastated at, at, at that stage. And I think... I probably the realities of the maybe how difficult it was going to be or how long it might take or that it might not work kind of were starting to sink in a little bit at that stage. Um and so I kind of was just, you know, it had been going on a while as well. Like that was, you know, in June or July and it was the August before that I'd kind of made the decision. So, you know, I was carrying it a lot for a long time. So at that stage, I decided to take a couple of months off because there was like weddings to go to, festivals to go to. And I really wanted to have, you know, um, if if it was going to be a long journey, I wanted like really good, fun memories yeah. that weren't too far away to kind of keep me going through it all. Yeah. And so I did that and I got back um, in the September. I went to the All Together Now. Not, no, the one that was in, the love one that was in um, in, in town. I went to that festival and um, I started the treatment the following Tuesday. And then 14 I think 16 days later, the, the insemination went ahead and, you know, they asked you to 
to, to like not do a test for kind of 16 days, I suppose, to let nature take its course, like if, if it's going to be kind of bad news. And, you know, as I was waiting through it, like, you know, five or whatever, probably halfway through it, like I kind of felt a bit, I had a bit of a pain and you're like, oh God, this is it now. And then I kind of found the worst, the best and the worst thing was um, I found an app when I was able to like track like seven days after insemination eight days after insemination and every day whatever I check in on I feel it and each answer it was like could be pregnant or could be miscarrying you know (laughs) it was like it could be one of those things you're like oh my god um and then I just I I I have if you ask anyone I have no patience in general I'm like "Mm -hmm. can we just will we talk about that and then you turn around and it's done (laughs) half lifted something hanging (laughs) off a shelf and I don't know how I managed it but there was not one part of me that was remotely um, curious in doing an early test. And I waited the full 16 days did you? to do it. Yeah, I did. And I was like, even on the phone to friends, I was like, oh my God, I think I might be pregnant. I like a very, and I kept the whole, through the whole process. I was like, I know the chances of it working were so low. I was like, but it might, and it might. And I did lots of acupuncture and Reiki and, and stuff to help me through it. And then I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I was like, oh God, I can't be doing that now. It's way too early. <laughs> and I went back to sleep. And then I woke up at half four and I did the test and it was positive. And I just had some gorgeous tears and sent a picture to my pals and then went back to bed. And it was just the best day ever. Oh, I'm actually like, I know that <laughs> feeling. And I know exactly yeah. like what it's like after IUI. I will hands yeah. up, go, I did not wait 16 days. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have no patience either. I'm wicked. <laughs> I I like I, at home. I'll float an idea, and if yeah. we get a positive, it's like done immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it's like on. my fingers on the, on the buying button. I'm like, is that okay? Yeah, okay, done. Um, so yeah, both times. So I've had, had IUI twice, and I've had success yeah. both times, which is like Amazing. incredibly, yeah, incredibly rare yeah. and brilliant. Um, yeah. And the first time. With Alice, I, you know, same as you, went through all the, the injecting and all of that. Mm. And then came home. I was exhausted after it. I just mm. found it like, I don't know, was it like the hormones? I was wrecked. Uh, yeah. So I yeah, came totally. home and like slept till, came home about two o'clock in the day when it was done. And I probably slept through till the next morning. And oh, I wow. kind of woke up and I was like, mm, I don't know. I feel a little bit different. Ben was like, there's no way you're yeah. right. There's no way you know. And I was like, yeah, I definitely yeah. don't know. Like that, that, that I'm being... Yeah ridiculous mm. um and I think I probably the first time probably waited closer to when I should have done the pregnancy test yeah. and then tested positive but with Peter um I was really because it worked with Alice and mm. so quickly I was really like this isn't we're not going to get the same results like it's just mm. so not going to happen and mm. I had planned the the appointment um I suppose I'd booked it like in June for October to get mm-hmm. my first cycle done. And mm-hmm. when we went there and everything was good, the doctor was like, you know, if you, you could do, you could start a cycle this month if you want. And I was like, yeah, sure. Listen, you know, might as well. Mm-hmm. Let's get one done. Get one under the bag, mm-hmm. you know, before Christmas. Yeah. And um, he was like, that would be a July baby now if you, you know, if all going well. Mm-hmm. And my husband was like, oh, Pam, you know, just July and August, you know, now it worked. Like they're hectic for me. <laughs> and I was like, listen, it's not going to work. 
it's fine yeah. we're just gonna get one under the belt and then it'll be like we'll conceive in January it'll be grand yeah. and went so we did it we, we did a cycle and I'd say within three days after this after the insemination I was like yeah defo pregnant and Ben is like oh you are not God. pregnant and I was like no for sure I was like you know what I ignored all the signs the last time yeah but I was like no I never have tender boobs and they're absolutely aching yeah. me and there's only one explanation for this. So I was doing yeah. tests like on the daily, like, and they're all <laughs> pregnant. And I was like, I rang the fertility clinic and I was like, like, about probably four days before I should have, I was like, yeah, because it was a Friday. I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've tested pregnant. She was like, no, no, you have to wait. Yeah. So I was like, grand. Oh so gosh. I literally kept testing and I was like, yeah, still pregnant. Um, yeah, so it happened twice the first time amazing um, which is amazing well, it, like, and, I'm like, and I'm so shocked by that I know. It, like I, I'm actually sh- the, the longer it goes on the more I kind of know about it I'm shocked that it worked for me to be honest it's it's amazing like when it works mm. and it's like I don't want to say easy but when it's like so there's the, there's two things of it when I was in it in the process of it well first of all just when you say you kind of knew it I actually totally agree with you because I was like a few days in and I remember having a chat with a friend and I said something she's like oh what do you watch thing you're pregnant right I was like no 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 I was like but I really did I just felt so and there was this weird contempt feeling and I think why I didn't have the need to do the test was because my body was like no you're done now yeah. you're grand but when when I was going through the process and I was thinking about how it works I was like, well, that just makes so much sense. It's just sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for it. So, like, how could it not work? Like, it's so practical. Like, just why does everyone not do it? And um, but th- then, you know, you kind of you're like everything. The further you go away, you're like, I just, oh my god, I can't believe it worked first time, and I'm just so grateful for it. But wild science is brilliant. Well done, science. Yeah, isn't it? And then it's yeah. yeah. Um, only with Alice, I did feel I didn't have it with Peter. I just had this fear for the whole pregnancy because it worked and I felt like I cheated the system. So mm. it wasn't until I actually had her and held her that I kind of went, oh my God. Do you know, I was, yeah. even through all the scans and even when they confirmed at like six weeks and eight yeah. weeks and 12 weeks, like I never cried. I was very, very logical. I was like, all oh, right, okay, okay, there's a baby. I That yeah. sense of believing that it actually yeah. happened it wasn't until I held, held her and I was like oh my god I can't believe this has actually <laughs> happened I just felt like yeah like the statistics what well, it was like 13 to 15 percent I think and I was like that's oh you were doing well but, you know like that's I was like how did how did I get lucky with that that's not yeah. right so I, yeah I did I doubted myself yeah. the whole time I, I I loved at the beginning every time I felt nauseous I was like oh still there yes still there every time there was something bad I'm like still there it's grand it's grand we're all good we're all good oh my goodness I can't believe it's nearly a year ago now wild and, and, and I loved being pregnant and I loved my you? big belly and I love oh my I just did and it was and again being in lockdown kind of for me like I would have gone through anything nothing would have faced I mean like I even moved house and everything at the time my house was supposed to close in February it didn't close till three weeks before all that kind of stress was it going to happen and everything but I was like it's okay because I just had a big baby belly <laughs> to keep the company I was like we're grand we're here we're fine <laughs> and how are you finding your first year of solo parenting like it's been it's 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 been wonderful and at the same time you know that's not to 
sugarcoated that it's all amazing and it hasn't been hard because it absolutely has um at times and i i was also talking recently i marvel by you can't believe how how much you forget like you don't forget it in total but like as it moves on to the next phase Mm -hmm. it just kind of the detail of it fades like it kind of just gets blurry in the background and i think you know um like like i said in terms of lockdown anything that was thrown at me along the way in terms of each phase and its difficultness it's like you know i've gone through everything because so always so present and so omni grateful really of of that it had happened and that i had him and but i also think you know doing it being a solo parent it is tough and the lockdown in terms of the supports that I thought I would have in place, maybe some of them that I, I didn't have. But I suppose the way you work is like you can only focus on the now and, and the one foot in front of each other and getting it through it because you kind of you can't kind of let in how difficult the difficult parts are because you just don't have the space for it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? You can't you just don't have time for it. And you're like, you know, kind of six months, you know, after he was born, you're kind of like, I'm like, wow that was some serious achievement do you know what I mean in terms of acknowledging yeah. getting through it you know because as blissfully amazing as it is and you know it's 90 95% amazing the 10% that hard oh my god is it hard yeah you know and that you know things obviously and, and you just and you don't have a clue do you know what I mean I just like I might I might be like a full-on grown-up but I really didn't have a rat you know in terms of what was coming down the line or what to expect and I was very I was kind of I was probably quite anxious about that and scared of getting it wrong but I suppose the realities of you know it's not the things that you worry about that really ever cause a problem you know like in the in the most part he's a great sleeper he goes to sleep and he's a great feeder and all the rest of it so you know the whole process I took to it so much easier and was more natural to it than I ever would have imagined but I suppose it, it, it just it's just hard at times but having said that in terms of solo parenting in all the hardness there's never been a time when I've thought oh oh it would be so much easier if I had somebody with me so that has never kind of impacted on any of the journey so far like it's our journey I think there's so many not and I don't say this in a way like that um, I want to be on uh, it just us forever and not open to meeting somebody because that absolutely isn't the case but it's been beautiful just having the two of us and having our own little bubble and getting to know each other and it's a really special a special time a really special connection that we have on the back of it and while yes there's times when you know it's been really hard and it would have been great to have more support or maybe just extra hands there I really don't feel that um we've missed out on anything or that there's been anything lacking because it's just been the two of us. Yeah. And I think it's telling that, you know, cause I mean, there's definitely times where I've been like, Oh my God, I don't know how I, you know, I'd find like for me, it's probably the tiredness I'd find mm. incredibly good, difficult. Um, mm. and wouldn't, you know, you'd be like, how am I going to get through this? And mm. you feel very fortunate like that I have been to go, okay, I can't. If he wakes up in the middle mm. of the night, like I just can't tonight. This is, you know, I'm wrecked. But yeah. I, but then it, like with most things in life, you 
do what you have and that's just the way isn't it like it's yeah and it passes and I am you know uh, like kind of lucky the longer it goes in you kind of you kind of learn you know to say exactly what you need and kind of yeah and probably I learned it probably and took a while to get there but it's like you know and and when it got to a stage if I really if it was getting to kind of that well then I'll call in troops. Do you know what I mean? I'll call in support. So I there's no more there's no martyr in me at the same time. Like if I need help, like I need help, yeah. you know, and I and I'll say that and that's fine. And then like I say, you know, as they get that little bit older, you kinda you get through it and you're fine again. And now like he's nearly a year, he's no bother to stay over at my sister's house, you know, when like on a day off and you can get a proper break, you know, when you need it. But you just you just kinda get through yeah. because you kind of have to, you know, and then you can like, what, what else is there to do? You know, and uh, and even in like, and, and like when I, when things are hard for me, like I wouldn't, might not uh, express it publicly or whatever, but I don't bottle it in. Like I'm the first person to be on the phone and to have a cry and say whatever, how difficult it is and whatever, and I'll, and I'll feel it, but then I'll come back from it and I'll pivot. And you're like, and I suppose what, what, even in the darker of times, you're like, that's the gig, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is the gig and that's what you kind of signed up to and I never thought it would be um super easy or anything like that but it's definitely not as hard um as I thought it would be in terms of um challenges and it's it's definitely not a hardship do you know but um you know you just need to be really clear on asking for help be clear on what what you need and and asking for it really and I think that can be something that people can probably struggle with to actually mm. articulate okay hand up I need help without mm. them because I know I can be certainly guilty of that I, I would just kind of say well, surely someone can see them struggling with this or you know how how come maybe they should offer me help rather than me just saying yeah. actually picking up the phone going do you know what I'm actually like I need a break or you know what I yeah. could just do it an hour if you could just yeah. take the two of them and you know taken to the playground exactly and it's a process and because I was talking to other moms and stuff and it's about and when you know that it's not just you because you're on your own but kind of that resentment at the beginning when you're like how can someone not see what I need here and you're like if you don't say you don't get exactly yeah and it's funny because we have that mentality in other parts of our life but when it becomes when it becomes something got to do with like being a mum we seem to kind of shy away it's as if like we're like, oh no, we don't want to like break the facade of, oh, I've got this. I'm totally, mm-hmm. you know, mm. when actually breaking the facade is what you need to do and go, do you know what? Hands up. Yeah. Like give me hundred percent. Give me a, um, a break here for a few minutes. <laughs> Just let me go to Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I know. Cause the things that we now enjoy that we like, we can laugh at are yeah. like we're, we're the things that we took for granted are now our, 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 our weekly saviors. Um, I know. And when it comes to your back in work and from, because this was, this is a challenge that I've yet to face. And so I, I'm asking mm-hmm. you for your input, like the drop offs, the collecting, the, you know, the practical logistical point of things of, of, of you mm-hmm. and your day how does how are you finding that because like i've yet to do that i've yet to drop off at at montessori get back to work to go back to collect montessori to get back to so that that to me is like it blows my mind how and i know everyone is doing it around me and i'm like but how well so 
what is it? So in terms of, again, from a pandemic perspective and working from home, it actually kind of, while you miss kind of people or whatever in the office, it, it kind of facilitates that. So when it, I'm very lucky in that he is in a crash that is literally, you know, like a five minute walk from the house, even though I still drive to it. So it's just around the corner. <laughs> so we get up kind of at half six, seven. And it's obvious. So we have, a, we have a morning together. We have till like eight o'clock. We get up. I throw on some sort of clothes, have an hour with him to have a lovely time, a nice relaxed breakfast. He has his porridge. I throw him in the car, drop him to crash, and then I come back and I have time between. So I leave him there for eight o'clock when it opens because that gives me an hour then to go home, have a shower, get myself together and start work kind of around nine o'clock or just after. Um, and I'm very I'm very lucky in that the company I work with um, supports flexible working and it also has a ramp on period. So for the first six months um, at Vodafone, when you go back to work after your maternity leave, you work um, four days for for full pay for five days pay. So I would and you're kind of you're you're measured really on, on your output rather than presenteeism. So like I get my job done between, you know, nine, half nine and four o'clock. And at four o'clock, I'm up, I collect him. I have four to seven to unwind and to still have, you know, part of the day with him yeah. and then put him to bed at seven o'clock. And then if there's anything I need to catch up on afterward, after seven, I can do, you know, but it's it's brilliant to have that flexibility. And then at the moment, then I'm on Fridays as well. So like, you know, half of the week with them, I'm st- half of the week, almost half a week, I'm still week- with them, yeah. you know, yeah, which is brilliant. Uh, can we take a second out to how amazing is that by Vodafone? Yeah, to be fair, um, it's, it's, I've it's never phenomenal. heard of a you know, do that. Yeah, it's, they're definitely um, market leading when it comes to maternity leave, they will be um, top tier, even in terms of, you know, um, parental leave um, for um, for all partners, so whether it's you know, so dads, um, adoptive parents, um, and all the rest, but they get um twenty, I don't know, is it twenty four or twenty six weeks leave as well, um, as um the birthing partner. So they're yeah, it's uh, to be honest, I'm there, I'm there nearly eight years, and it's one of the key key driving factors, you know, which would have kept me there and how well they treat their staff from that perspective, and you know, as well knowing, especially doing it on my own. Knowing that I have that flexibility, yeah. you know, is absolutely like paramount. And also I didn't wait, you know, I've waited a long time to have him. It would be awful if I had to pick him up at, you know, quarter to six every yeah. day and get home and, you know, rush to put him to bed. So I am very um, lucky from that perspective. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, I do the, the four day week and I have the Friday off and it's such um I use I use parental leave and it's such if you're if you ha- can do it mm. oh it's the game changer it really is because for me I was like I don't want to have to spend my weekend doing like the jobs you know I don't want to have to get into mm. shopping or doing the cleaning or doing the washing mm. and I was like okay so I can I can dedicate like Fridays to doing the jobs mm. and then we have a free weekend of just having fun and just doing what yeah. like family activities and and I know that I'm very fortunate that I can do that, but it's been such, yeah. it, it does make being back in the workplace that bit easier because it's a shorter week. And like you, my, you know, my job description didn't change. So my output is just yeah. higher in the four days that, that, I'm, um, exactly. that I'm in the office. So um, it works for both of us. Um, but yeah, it's... Nothing is more productive than a new mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
what do I need to do? Okay, let's get it done. <laughs> that is very true. Um, Clodagh, what would you tell your pregnant self? Oh, that is a good one. I think I would tell my pregnant self to make sure to get low everybody who comes to visit you to take pictures of you and your baby because I have so many pictures of Frank that I take all of the time but I'm so bad at taking selfies and any kind of decent photo because I am on my own I feel like I should have more pictures of the two of us so that is what I would tell my pregnant self anybody who stops near you get them to take a picture of the two of you together that's a very good tip, Clara. <laughs> and what one product could you not live without? <laughs> so not so much now, but when Frank was four weeks old, after like a night of like he had been whatever teething or upset, um, a girl I know messaged me on Instagram and introduced me to glycerine and aniseed teething gel. And she told me that you can use it from birth, that the midwives would ever endorse it. And it was the absolute godsend in that um, for when he was crying, just a little tiny dip in the dody into it. And it just diffused the situation instantly. And as I fondly called it, baby crack. And it was, it was literally for the first like four or five months of his life. That was like I had one um, in the bedroom, in the living room, in the car, in his buggy. I was genius. So thank you, Amanda, for that refer- for that um, referral. And that will be the one thing I would not live without if I had no baby. And what has been your magic moment? So I think the magic moment was when I was going, tr- going through my treatment. Um, even though I was still living, you know, in my old house, as I was going through the process, I did a huge amount of visualization and I just um, visualized holding my baby <laughs> outside the front door of our new house and so when I got to do that that was definitely it when we came home that for you is the 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 magic yeah it was just that moment of seeing the reality of the picture that I had in my mind and to stand outside with my little bundle of joy in this beautiful and black cashmere blanket that my friend Anna gave (laughs) as a gift which is most amazing and it matched the house and just to kind of stand outside and to see that what we had made happen was just the pinnacle of the moment of like I had like a, a a vision a book a little love book that I had made from and I wrote down all of did all of the things and like wrote letters to him and you know visualized what was coming down the line and it was just it was just a magic moment because I, I do believe while I think science is amazing um, and it is I fully believe that it was the holistic approach that I took to it in terms of acupuncture and Reiki and visualization that it was the combination of everything together that brought Frank to be. Thank you, Clodagh, for sharing your story with us. And thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And so my love to Frank, he is a his testament to you. I can see his little personality beaming through and I'm sure <laughs> he will be at many a festival when we were allowed party again. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much. It was so lovely to talk You're to you. You're very welcome. Have a lovely day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of For All Mankind. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review and subscribe. If you would like to send me a message, please email forallmankind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And see you in the next episode of the podcast.
Gardner Family Apothecary are the official sponsors of For All Mumkind podcast, caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox base to Elav's sensitive beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of the news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro.